Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Soul Life Podcast. My name is Shirley Fruchter, and in this episode, we are going to be discussing our spiritual connection to nature. I'm very excited about this episode, and I think that there's a side to it that sounds as if we're going to all be hippies and just sit in the forest and kind of meditate, which weirdly sounds very intriguing to me, uh, but that's not really what this is all about. This episode is learning about the spiritual side of environmentalism to gain a new connection to nature overall and a new relationship. As we've said in past episodes, we are consciousness. We are souls. We are rays of the divine light. We are rays of God. We are parts of God. That is our true essence. And that, in truth, is really the essence of everything. Every single thing in the world has the sparks of the divine, has at their core essence of what they truly are. Even though we perceive everything, as we've said before, perception is so key to understanding these ideas. Even though we see things as separate from us, as we see things in a certain way and holding a certain form and a certain shape, even in the realm of science, whether you want to call it with energy or with quantum physics or any of these other uh, different scientific fields, what meets the eye is not necessarily what is. And everything in the world is an expression of God. It is not God, but it is in fact an expression of his endless light, of that true one spark of unity, of love, of peace, and of oneness that we all have within us. And nature is just like that. Nature is, of course, something. It has something, so therefore it is in this world and it is an expression of the divine. And I think that's really why we all intuit there's something very spiritual about being in nature, kind of being in the earth in a very plain way, whether you're going on hikes, whether you're looking at beautiful sunsets or you're looking in beautiful views, whatever the context is, There's always this notion that everyone, and I think people experientially can know it. I think I know I personally have countless experiences with this because I'm just so taken away by the beauty of nature, by the serenity, by the peace, by the harmony of how everything just is so pure and peaceful. It's really, it's breathtaking. That's really what it is. And I think that our souls are so attracted to nature because the same way our souls want to be their authentic selves want to shine through and live our potential into reality. I think that's what nature does. Nature is very real. You don't see trees, I don't know, trying to bark or trying to be embarrassed about growing. I'm going to get into all of this. But uh, I'm in YU now and I'm a rising senior. And this past year, uh, this past semester, some of my friends and I, uh, one of my friends, Yoni, started this really cool thing where we, uh, on Fridays, we went to the park and we would share Torah with one another. And we called, he called it Stark in the Park. And I loved it. I thought it was a beautiful parallel and it's going to set up a lot of what we discussed today because I think that what we were doing was we were learning Torah, right? Teachings that are trying to align our true selves with our bodies so that way we can act in the ways we want. We can get in touch with our true wills, our true desires and express ourselves wholly and unapologetically. And we were doing that in nature, a place that, as we said before, is aligned with its true self. You don't see nature trying to be what it's not. Everything is really operating in a system. It's very, it's operating very cleanly, very purely, very innocently. And that is, I think, what makes it so attractive and what shows us how the bounds of beauty are always just transcended by nature. When you see the sun setting and the sky isn't blue, but it has streaks of purple and it's dark and it has orange and tints of red. And even when you see the sun setting a little bit lower and there's pink in the sky, it's just a magnificent sight. Or you want to look at trees or flowers and really look at the details. And you just have the most brilliant craftsman and creator who made this world for us. And as an expression of Hashem, nature yearns to grow 
and return to this oneness. It's kind of, if you can imagine, if you take a magnet and you hold it up to uh, some metal or those things, they were buckyballs, I'm not sure if you know what they are, it naturally just is attracted to it. It wants to return to it because there's something pulling it there. There's something pulling it there. And when you have that, when you are in touch with that feeling, when you're in touch with the constant calling of the universe, of Hashem, of God, that we are supposed to be receiving, that is all you want to do. And the reason why we don't naturally act in that way, as we've said in past episodes, is because we have so many blockages. We have a lot of ego. We have so much that is creating static. So those messages, that signal that is drawing us to that one light to shine through the particular color and ray and degree that we were gifted with, that we are continuing to develop in our lifetime, the static prevents us from having that clear connection, from having that clear perception of that. But with nature, that's not the case because there isn't blockage. Nature is very much in touch with the will of God. Nature is in touch with its true self. And the Chaban, who was a Kabbalist who passed away in 2019, he was living in Israel. He writes in his book, in his Sefer, Tal Chaim, speaking about tefillah or prayer, that as we said before, everything in the world is an emanation of Hashem's or God's one light. Everything from the doors, from the trees, from the houses, from the rivers, from the animals, to anything you see in the world is, in fact, the essence of it is Hashem's one light. And again, we mentioned the field of science will speak about this and say that what meets the eye is not necessarily what is. It's just our perception. It's just what we see. In truth, everything is made up of molecules and everything is made up of energy, but we don't actually see that even though it has a certain form. But in that same vein, since everything is a part of that one light, everything naturally, when you are a part of that one light, which everything in the world is, you want to actualize that light. You want to return to your source, the source of yourself, the soul of your soul, to return to God. And the Chalban says, everything wants to do this. That is what prayer is. Prayer is this exercise of will and imagination to bring yourself in greater alignment with your true self, with the higher one self of the world, to align yourself with God. And nature is also in touch with this. Nature also has this expression of prayer, whereby it only wants to break through the bounds that hold it shut, break through the bounds of grass, of leaves, of trees, of flowers, of rivers, of wind, of any of these different things, to just return to God. And I think that practically you really can get a sense of this with how when you stand in nature, you're standing in the middle of a symphony of an orchestra where everything is cooperating and in such close connection that the small gust of wind that comes just sings a song with the birds that are chirping. It's, it's beautiful. And that's really why it's breathtaking, it was breathtaking as we said before. And the Chaban is this really uh, cute idea, I really was touched by it, where he was saying that even the rocks, even that which is so silent and so concrete that you think that there's really no movement or vitality within it, even the rocks are trying to have themselves, They the rocks themselves, you know, obviously not to give the rocks a persona, but they want to be utilized for the purpose of bringing greater oneness and connection to the world. And we basically are living in the garden of the universe's soul. We are living in the garden of God. That's really where we are. And everything we do, all the flowers we tend to, all the ways that we connect and get in touch with nature is just aligning ourselves with that truth. And nature is in touch with itself. 
the trees, the grass, the flowers, the shrubs, all of it naturally wants to grow. There's a beautiful midrash, uh, a, a teaching that's been passed down in, in rabbinic literature that says every blade of grass has an angel telling it that it needs to grow. And it's so powerful because I think in our lives, we struggle for our own significance sometimes to think that I'm worthy, that I have potential, that I can actually conquer and make a difference in my life. But this midrash tells us that even the blades of grass have potential. There are, is one angel, one force of energy, one force of this oneness, of emanation of God that is designating this blade of grass saying, you need to grow. You need to grow. And there's a really powerful story of Rav Kook. Again, as we've said before, the first chief uh, rabbi of pre-state Israel, chief Ashkenazi rabbi, where he was walking with someone in a garden and they were speaking and the fellow he was with took off a leaf from a tree and Rav Kook scolded him and said, that's not for you to take off. You don't just take off leaf of a tree all willy-nilly. It's actually very important because that leaf has potential. There's an angel telling that leaf to grow, but you've disrupted that for no reason. It was not productive. It was unnecessary. And it's really, it's very inspirational and it shows a newfound sensitivity where you're not just being sensitive to yourself or to other people or to your friends or to animals, but you're being sensitive to the environment, to the world itself. This compassion is so, so important. And going back to what the Chaban was speaking about in his book, in Talei Chaim, he says that this will of creation, of every single thing in the environment, in nature, in the world, trying to return back to God, we, as people, actualize that. We are the centerpieces of the world whereby we have the responsibility to help all of the universe get back in touch with this larger symphony. We're supposed to be the conductors who have everything working in coordination, who is allowing the music to flow through our ears, to flow through the auditorium that is life. And the Chabon says that that makes us the mouth of creation, that the will of nature, the will to grow, the will to beautify, the will to transcend, the will to just continuously actualize the potential. And it's very beautiful and inspiring that nature in its essence, is growth. That is what nature is. Nature is just a pure element of growth, constantly trying to grow and conquer and do it in a very healthy, pure way. And we have the responsibility to manifest that through us trying to change our will, for us trying to grow, trying to get more in touch with Hashem, with our true essence, with ourselves as a part of Hashem. That is very, very important. And with this, it demonstrates that we have a very serious responsibility to the environment. There's a different midrash in Kohelet Rabbah that is speaking about in the creation of the world when God created Adam and Eve, he says to them, and I'll read the midrash very briefly, this is one part of it, it says, when the blessed one created the first human, he took him and led him around all the trees of the garden of Eden. And he said to him, look at my works, how beautiful and praiseworthy they are. And all that I've created, it was for you that I created it. Pay attention that you do not corrupt and destroy my world. If you corrupt it, there's no one to repair it after you. And it's a little bit chilling because I think that we're still maintaining this idea, which is the correct idea, that humans really are the pinnacle of the world, that we are supposed to be uh, the ones who are bringing the world in greater alignment. And that nature is for us to benefit from. Nature is for us to enjoy. Nature is for us to help, again, compose this beautiful song and symphony for the world to get back in touch with this oneness. But in that same vein, as God was telling uh, Adam or Adam 
in this midrash, look how beautiful it is. Look how praiseworthy it is. How when everything just starts to grow and to rise, it's almost as if they're singing a song in praise of God. Enjoy that. Relish in that. Sit in nature. Get connected. Be there. Cherish the purity, the serenity that is in the pure earth when it's unadulterated, when it's not bothered, when there's no ego blocking it. But in that same vein, you have to pay attention because with all this enjoyment, there's a lot of responsibility that you cannot corrupt it. You cannot destroy it. And aside from the Chaban's point on being the mouthpiece of creation, this says if you corrupt the world, if you destroy it, who's going to repair it? This is your responsibility. You are the gardeners of the world. And there's even ideas and guidelines in halacha in the legal framework of the Torah of bal tashrit, of, of destroying things unnecessarily. And it's speaking in the context, the Torah talks to us, speaking in the context of war, that you can't just senselessly destroy fruit-bearing trees. You don't have the right to do that, even in times of war, and then all the more so when you're talking about in daily life. And again, even in Israel, in Eretz Israel, every seven years is an idea that you rest the land, that it has a Shabbos of its own. And Judaism is giving us this very mindful consciousness of the world, that the world is also a part of God and is deserving of basic respect, is deserving of a preservation that keeps it healthy and whole. And without getting into the nitty-gritty of the halachic or the legal parameters, there's very clearly a strong Jewish value of environmentalism. At the very at the very least, not unnecessarily harming nature. At the very least, it's saying you don't you have no right to just start burning things, ripping trees down, doing things that have no purpose, just purely destructive. But it's more likely that there's also a demonstration of a larger responsibility that we need to interact, to enjoy, but also to promote nature's growth, to allow the environment to flourish. The same way we have ego, as we spoke about in episode three, we have ego that disrupts our will from being actualized, that disrupts us from being in touch with our true selves. We do not want to be the ego of the earth. We do not want to be the obstacles, the impediments that are deterring earth and nature and everything that is so beautiful from the plain, simple, basic growth and earth of the world, of the greenery. We don't want to be that distraction. We don't want to be that disruption. We want to allow the connection with the oneness of the world to just be clear, to be, to be clear without static, without interruption. And as we kind of start to broaden this and think more seriously, naturally, in our episodes, we talk about international relations, and I'm going to do that here as well. But it's also very practical, I think, personally, lessons of responsibility. While we're dealing with climate change and global challenges, and briefly to talk about climate change, I'm no science expert. This is from brief research and my understanding. Climate change is incredibly serious. It's almost in consensus. I think it is consensus. I just don't want to say for fact of the greatest threat facing humanity right now. And there has been, an, and just to briefly explain it, there has been an exponential increase of carbon, di- of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere since the Industrial Revolution. And the using of, of fossil fuels and other gases and all of the other things that humans are doing through our factories, through all of the resources we're using of the world, of the fossil fuels and the methane gas and all these different things that are being used and are being produced from our actions, it's all rising up into the air. And what happens is when sunlight enters into our atmosphere, some of that sunlight can become trapped 
and can heat up the world and can heat up our atmosphere, which is known as the greenhouse effect. This basically embodies the issue of climate change because this in itself isn't actually a problem. There's no problem with the world being heated up. The problem is the rate at which it's being heated up, which according to scientists is happening alarmingly fast, way too quickly, very detrimentally, and we're seeing very practical repercussions. And aside from the harm to the environment that of natural disasters and animals, we see the effects we're having on the world. We're seeing in the North Pole, we're seeing with floods, we're seeing with all these different things happening in the weather throughout the entire world, natural disasters that are happening. There's very real effects that are happening in forests with, with, with forest fires, with animals, with wildlife. And you see all of this chaos and you have to ask yourself, are we as human beings, as humanity, are we, are we causing this? And the science is saying yes. It's our actions as a larger society and as countries that are constantly trying to produce and not have any consideration or concern for the repercussions that such high producing rates, not caring about the resources that we're using, not caring about the effect that it'll have afterward on the world. That is what is engendering these crazy exponential rates of carbon dioxide, which is heating up the world so much more than it can tolerate. And we're destroying wildlife, we're destroying the environment, but even more, humans are dying as a result of it. There are countless floods, there are wildfires, there are so many catastrophes we're seeing in the news of how the whole system of our, of our being, of our planet, is just off. It's, it's just all crazy because this is not natural. This is unnatural. And of course, as we said before, we're supposed to be using the earth. We're supposed to use these resources. We're supposed to be benefiting from it. But it, ha it can't just be with no consideration. It can't be with no strings attached. There needs to be mindfulness. And a lot of the problem is that there's, this is fixable. You can make mistakes. That's all right. But you have to be willing to do the, the healing that comes with it. When you break, you need to fix. When you damage, you need to heal. But countries are allowing politics and money and frankly, ego to stop them from reaching a solution. And that's the obstacle. And it's so interesting to even parallel. I wasn't even thinking about this. But in our third episode, we spoke about how ego is our biggest preventer from actualizing our true will as souls. But even with countries we're seeing now, and we spoke about that with countries with nuclear weapons, but even now, why would a country that is an expression of God, where the leaders are expressions of God and their essential purpose of their soul and their essential wanting is to connect and to grow and whether or not they realize that is a different question but it's so strange that you would then want to destroy the world and you don't want to care you want to focus on the money and focus on the production as if that in itself is the most valuable thing in the world if the earth is being destroyed at a rate it can't tolerate then why can't we come to a solution ego is the thing that's holding us back and this can be resolved in two ways Practically, there, need to be, there needs to be global action. The Paris Climate Accords sought to limit carbon dioxide uh, emissions from countries. So then that way, they could limit how fast the Earth is heating up as a result of that process we discussed earlier. And this would then cap their carbon dioxide emissions. It would be conscious saying, I'm going to emit carbon dioxide. I'm going to use the Earth's resources because that's what it's here for, but I'm not going to do so without consideration for the repercussions because there are consequences. This has been falling apart. Just look in the news. The US pulled out. So many countries are violating it. The caps aren't enough. It's a disaster. 
and it's, and it's and it's very sad. It's very very sad and it's very disheartening to see that countries and world leaders don't care and they are so blinded by ego and by all these fake things that are putting static between them and their true essence with the world. That's what's happening. But I think personally that even as individuals, there's a lot of personal action we can take to limit pollution, even if it's not on a larger scheme of, you know, stopping how fast the earth is being uh, heated up. There is with recycling, reusing, reducing, I said that I said that totally in the wrong order, because uh, that's not how the saying goes from our classic science class in middle school. But it's true. There are ways to limit pollution. There are ways to limit the ways you are personally as an individual and as a member of the global community and as a soul of the world and how you personally are harming the world. Um, recycling, reducing what you're using, trying to reuse other things you've used so you don't have as much waste. These are small fixes that can become very natural and become instinctive to us and they won't even be a bother at a certain point. It's just that adjustment period we need to get used to. And I know that some may have a reaction of what I do, what I do doesn't really matter, so why should I be putting on all these restrictions on myself and my life? I think that there are two answers to this. One, there's a value of expressing what you believe in. So even if my not using plastic bottles isn't saving the world, there's a value of me saying, I don't want to be a part of the destruction and I'm going to do what I can, even if it's limiting how many bottles I use, even if it's reusing the bottle I use twice instead of throwing it out right away. That is in itself is very powerful in saying, I'm going to actualize my values in a concrete way. But on another way, Maimonides actually says that don't view your life in that way where what I do will not matter because he says that each person should view themselves with a very deep sense of significance that you need to consider as if your actions have the potential to tip the world in one scale or another to be destroyed or to be saved and that you have infinite worth that you have infinite worth. And I think that in this context with the environmental crisis we're facing as a global community and as souls and as people who are inhabiting the earth and are inhabiting God's garden, we need to think about how are we treating this? What are we doing and how are we trying to, in a small way, in a larger way, in any way, even just to be aware of the problem, how are we interacting with this? And just to bring it back, I think, to a much larger idea, there is so much to connect us to nature, to have us have a very real spiritual connection where we have a relationship with nature, where we are here as gardeners for God. We are God's gardeners, where we are here trying to actualize the will of nature, trying to preserve and protect and have it grow to be inspired by nature and practically to try and raise awareness about the dangers facing nature, the dangers that we are causing to nature. But in this way, we can go and look at the sunset, we can go and look at trees and look at flowers and not just see it superficially as something beautiful, but to see it as something intrinsically very meaningful to God, to the universe, to the oneness of all of ourselves and to us as individuals, as souls. And that I think is a perspective that can inspire us and can bring us a lot of healing and a lot of love. And can also, if you think about how often you really interact with nature, imagine if whenever you saw nature, you can think in this way. Imagine how much inspiration you have where anytime you walk in a park, when you walk in a garden, boom, it's an instant charge of, uh, it's an instant charge of inspiration, an instant charge of energy, of vitality. And nature is really special. There's something very, very special about it where we can find ourselves, where we can find our purpose, where we can find our peace and our harmony. And with that, thank you all so much for tuning in. And I hope that together we can bring healing to ourselves and healing to our nature to save them both together.